0: Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, you are the King. Jesus, you are the Son of God. Jesus, you are the Messiah, the only way, truth, and life. And no one comes to the Father but through you. You are the King. You are the head of this church. And you reign forevermore. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to you by the Father. Thank you, Jesus, for dying so that we might live. Thank you for the gospel. Come and meet with us. Say what you want to say to your church today. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread today to hear well, to listen well, and to respond in faith. Oh Lord, remove the distractions from our midst today. And as we lay those down, that we would be attentive to your words and incline our ear to your sayings. Your word is true. Your word is life. Your word is the bread of life itself. Oh Lord, that we would feast mightily upon your word today. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see, reveal the truth, and give us hearts to respond. To the word of God today, fill my mouth, say what needs to be said, convict and strengthen and encourage and unify. Holy Spirit, pour yourself out and save and sanctify among us today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen, amen. Well, loved ones, let's go ahead and open up to John chapter 17. John 17 verses 1 to 5. And the title of this morning's message is, The Desires of Jesus. The Desires of Jesus. Now, when you hear a title like that, it may prompt a question among you, and it's a crucial question that we need to be asking ourselves today, and it is this, what does Jesus desire? I mean, think about that. If someone were to come up to you on the street saying, hey, I know you say you're a follower of Christ, well, let me ask you a question. What does Jesus desire? I mean, what are his passions, his priorities, and his purposes, okay, we'll break it down a little bit, for your family? What are Jesus's desires for your family, your relationship with your spouse? What's his desire for your marriage? Is it reflecting that? Is what we see going on in our families reflecting Jesus' desires? How about in our parenting? What are his desires for parenting? How about in how we relate to our parents, even as adults? Or our siblings? Or our in-laws? What are Jesus' desires? How about this? In our school? What's Jesus' desire for students? Or in our jobs? What is Jesus' desire in how we steward the finances that he's given us? What does Jesus desire in our entertainment choices? In our hobbies? How about this? What does Jesus desire in the church? Man, there's a lot of opinions about that today, isn't there? But what does Jesus desire in the church, his church? How about this? What does Jesus desire in our relationships with non-believers? Our neighbors, our co-workers, the people we pass at the stores. Here's a big one. What does Jesus desire in the pandemic? We've heard a lot of points of view on that over the last 17 months, haven't we? But have we really stopped to examine from God's work, what does Jesus really desire in the pandemic? See... Loved ones, this is a crucial question to answer. You can't escape it. I can't escape it. It's crucial that we answer it if we are to stay faithful in living on mission for Jesus Christ and see his glory and his kingdom advance amidst the darkness around us. But there's a problem that we face, and it is this and it's one that you and I engage in regularly, is that we are so prone to live by the desires of this world, aren't we? Not Jesus' desires, the desires of this world, its passions, its priorities, its purposes. And with this, along with this, a big part of it is, we're so prone to live by the desires of self. What I want, when I want, how I want it, why I want it, right? Let's just be honest. We're so prone to live by the desires of this world, the desires of self, and not the desires of Christ. And even as Christian, we can say that Jesus' desires are a priority with our mouths, but what are our lives truly showing of what we prioritize? See, this is a war that you and I face every day and will continue to do now into we see Jesus in heaven for eternity. And we're going to fight this war and that is the war of desire. The battleground of the heart is the war of desire. And every day you and I are engaged in a battle and it is this, whose desires will we live by? Moment by moment, whose desires will we live by? And what is the result of living by the desires of this world? The passions, priorities, purposes that this world tells us will bring us so much life. Just look around. We've seen it so clearly over the last 17 months. Division, not unity, of course, because you're so focused on living for yourself and not considering the interests of others. It it leads to conflict and not peace. Selfishness, not sacrifice. Pride, not humility. Look on the news. Hatred, hatred, not love. Despair, not hope. And ultimately, man's glory and not God's glory. But the truth that we are going to unpack over the next Three weeks here in John 17, Lord willing, is this. You'll see it on the screen. It's the big idea going to carry us right through. Ready? To stay faithful in living on mission for Jesus, you must increasingly live by the desires of Jesus. I'll say it again. Let's get this. To stay faithful in living on mission for Jesus, you must increasingly live by the desires of Jesus. At all times, and in all things. But to stay faithful on mission, we must be clear on what Jesus' desires are for us. Would you not agree? We must be clear on what's Jesus' desire for us. And I want to encourage us today. Here in John 17, this whole chapter, Jesus outlines that. We're going to see this. The heart of Jesus. The heart of God himself. And here we are in the upper room, and you'll see a picture of that. And it's the Last Supper, and it's finished now. And here we are at the end of what's called the Farewell Discourse that started in chapter 13 and now is going to conclude at the end of chapter 17. And if you recall from last week, Jesus has just finished teaching the disciples how to live faithfully on mission for him After his departure, remember, he's just a few hours right now. He's just a few hours away from his death, right? And then subsequent resurrection and ascension back to the Father later on. And this entire chapter is beautiful. It is one prayer. It is one prayer that Jesus prays to God the Father. And it is a transition chapter that is marking the end of Jesus' earthly ministry that is coming to a close. Remember, his public ministry started back in John chapter 2, and now this prayer functions as the transition towards the end of his earthly ministry. And this prayer, from John 17, is a summary of John's whole gospel up to this point. And it's moving towards this climax. And, And all throughout the gospels, you've seen, if you take any time to read it, you'll see it mentions that Jesus often went off to pray Isolated from everybody else, he went off by himself to pray to his father. And we don't really get a glimpse of what the content of those prayers was or what the communion is like. But here's a different story. We see right here such a beautiful glimpse of the intimate communion between father and son. God the father with God the son where Jesus expresses his heart right here, expresses his heart, his desires for seeing God's purposes fulfilled through his work of salvation that he's about to accomplish on the cross. And subsequently, his desires that he seeks to accomplish through the work he will do through his disciples, his followers later on, after he rises again and ascends to the Father. And so you'll see there the title of this Chapter is the high priestly prayer. This is a prayer of dedication, where Jesus, in the first part, is dedicating himself to his death. He's consecrating himself to his death to accomplish the work God had given him. But also, he's now dedicating the disciples back to God. He's dedicating the disciples to the mission that he was giving them, to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And this is why this prayer, you'll see, is broken up into three sections. Section one that we're going to look at today, verses one to five, where Jesus is praying for himself. He's dedicating himself, consecrating himself before his death. And then the second section, we're willing, in a few weeks, we're going to see uh, he's praying for the disciples. And then in the third section, he's praying for all future believers. It is truly beautiful. Strap in, can't wait. And here in our text today, right now, right off the top, we see the greatest desire that Jesus had. And the one that we as his followers must increasingly have as our greatest desires. If we are to imitate him, as Ephesians 5 once says, then we must have it as our greatest desire if we are to stay faithful and living on mission. It is the desire that all the others flow out of. What is it? It's the desire for God's glory above all. The desire for the glory of God at all times and in all things above all. All right? Can't wait to get into this. Let's grab our Bibles. Let's stand together. We're going to read God's word together. So good. Hope Bible Church, Ottawa, wherever you are today, let's go. John 17:1 to 5, we'll read it together. The high priestly prayer, ready? Verse 1. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Beautiful. All God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, what's so clear to see right here is that Jesus' desire is for God's glory, and it must be our greatest priority it must be our greatest priority. See, Jesus's priority is so clear right out of these first 3 verses. Jesus's priority is God's glory. And the question we face from that is, is it yours? Is it mine at all times and in all things? All right, look at verse 1 again. Let's go back. It says this, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, "Father, the hour's come Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. See, after finishing his teaching to the disciples in chapters 13 up to and including the end of chapter 16, Jesus now, you see it right in the text, he lifts up his eyes in prayer to the Father. And now he says, the hour has come. Now what hour is he talking about? The hour of his death, and then subsequently his resurrection and ascension. The hour means all of that. All of those events in the personal work of Jesus. But I also want you to notice something else that is important here. Verse 1, it says, the hour has come. See, Jesus, don't forget, is on a divine timetable. Amen. He's not being pressured to go to the cross. Men cannot touch him apart from the sovereignty of God. All of this is taking place, remember, under the sovereignty of God. Men cannot stop him. If Jesus, if it wasn't God's timing for Jesus to go to the cross, he wasn't going at this time. Man is powerless to stop him. So all of it, remember, is under the sovereignty of God. That's good news today, isn't it? Anything that's going on today around us, anything that could possibly happen, even though there's all those news reports, and, well, this is happening, this could happen, this could... It's all under God's sovereignty and title. You take comfort in that today. All right? You take comfort. God is sovereign, and we see that on display right here. And I want you to notice something so beautiful in this verse. Even in the face of excruciating torment, he's about to endure excruciating torment as he took on the sin of the world, the pain of the suffering, the wrath of God, and even more excruciating torment that is awaiting him, the separation from the perfect unity he had with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit that was awaiting him in just a few hours from now. What's Jesus's top priority right here? His top priority, notice the text, his greatest desire, his whole purpose for what he's about to ask for in this prayer is that God would be glorified and his name would be hallowed. Does that ring a bell from Matthew 6? Father, hallowed be thy name. There it is. Glorify your name. Not, think, put yourself in Jesus. What what are some of the things if we're going by our fleshly desires, our selfish desires, the desires of this world that we would ask for? Uh, Father, remove this at all costs. Or, Father, I'm not going through it. Just find a different... A person to do that. Father, just make things easier. That's what our flesh would want. That's what this world would say. You're crazy to go through something like that. But look, look, when God's glory is your priority, he says, Father, use it all to glorify your name. Use the suffering. And notice in verse one, we gotta be clear on this. What does that term glorify mean? Circle that. When Jesus says glorify your son, the son may glorify you. Here's what it means. honor. Esteem, or to acknowledge the worth of. Father, honor your son as he is lifted up and and the wrath of God is poured out. Let everyone see that truly this is the son of God, that, that I may glorify you through my death and resurrection. See, Jesus knew that as he went to the cross, the father would be glorified. This is what he's asking for here because he knows this is the will of God. God's glory. He knew the Father would be glorified because at that moment when Jesus was lifted up, when Jesus was being glorified, what would happen? Here it is. The world would see the greatest picture of God's grace. With Jesus hanging on the cross, it would see the greatest picture of God's mercy right there in that moment. And justice and compassion and love and holiness the world would see the greatest picture of God's wrath. But God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's righteousness, and God's forgiveness that could be displayed as the perfect son of God was crucified and took our place to pay the penalty for the sin of the world that you and I deserve. And that if we don't confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, what's this penalty lead to? Ultimately, death and separation from God for eternity in hell. And yet instead of trying to run away, saying, God, make it more comfortable, what does he say? God, glorify me that I may glorify you. There's the heart of Jesus. There's his greatest desire and what ours is called to be as part of his body. And then you see in verses two to three, Jesus goes on to describe how God would be glorified in two ways from his work on the cross. Here's two ways God is going to be glorified. Number in verse two, we see it here through the mission of God. God is glorified through the mission of God. Look at verse two. Jesus says, Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Back up verse one. Now two says this. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. See the term authority there when Jesus says since you've given him authority over all flesh. It means to rule and to reign with universal authority over all humanity. Amen. Is that not good news today? See, God the Father gave Jesus all authority in heaven and on earth to rule. And Jesus says that God's glory would be displayed as the people who were given to him by the Father. Or, in other words, another way of saying that is, those chosen by God before the foundation of the world for salvation, God would be glorified as he draws those he's called to himself, When they hear the gospel proclaimed, when they hear that Jesus Christ came to earth as fully God and fully man, when they hear that he is the only way, truth, and life, and no one comes to God but through him, when they hear that he is the Messiah, when they hear that he lived a perfect life, didn't sin once and went to the cross to pay the penalty for their sin, that they can't pay, that they can't make themselves right with God, and when they hear that he died and rose again, defeating power of sin and death, he's overcome the world, and that through him and that no other name given among men by which we must be saved, other than the name of Jesus Christ. When they hear this and they say, Yes, Lord, as the Holy Spirit opens their eyes and they come to salvation through repentance and faith in Jesus as the Messiah, and they're given eternal life, God's glorified. If I could sum up what Jesus says in verse 2 there, I'd say this. God is glorified when people get saved. Amen? God is glorified when people get saved through the mission of God. And I gotta tell you, wouldn't you agree with this? Isn't it amazing? Like Nothing short of awesome, even over this pandemic, as the word of God goes forth, as the spirit of God moves, listen, people are getting saved. People are getting saved in this church and many churches and and you just hear testimony. Isn't it amazing so encouraging when you hear testimony after testimony of how Jesus Christ, I was walking in darkness, but then Jesus Christ got a hold of me and he came and God drew me to himself and I'm saved and he's changed my life. Man, that is just beautiful. Your testimony after testimony of God's saving work, God gets glorified but not only through the mission of God. So there's the hearing of the gospel proclaimed through Christ followers, like you and I, proclaiming the gospel, seeing people come to Christ. But notice verse three, that's not the only way he gets glorified. Jesus is like, God, you're gonna be, Father, you are going to be glorified through my work, through intimacy, ongoing intimacy with you. Look at verse three. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ is, whom you have sent. Now, we got to get some clarity on this. Eternal life. What is eternal life? Jesus defines eternal life right here. Highlight this text. It's so key. When someone says, what does it mean to have eternal life? Go right here. John 17, 3. Eternal life. It's important to understand this. Jesus is not just talking about eternal in quantity. We tend to think about eternal life as, okay, well, that'll just go on forever. So that'll start when I get to be with Jesus in heaven and God the Father and the Holy Spirit for eternity. Well, no. It isn't just describing the quantity, the length of life. Eternal life is describing the divine quality of life, even right Now, for all those who are saved in Jesus Christ. So it's not just describing the eternal quantity of life. It's talking about the divine quality of life even right now. And what does that mean? It means experiencing, I love this, the quality of God's life increasingly. The life of God living in and through us increasingly now. And that which we will experience fully when we are glorified with him for eternity and we are face to face with Jesus. Awesome. So it's not just the quantity of life. It's also talking about the divine quality of life right now. And this is why Jesus Christ says right here in verse three, eternal life is knowing the one true God. Who's that? God, the father, the one true God, Is God the Father and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Why Jesus Christ? He is God the Son, the only Messiah, whom the Father sent to earth. See, Jesus is God's plan for salvation. Plan A, B, C, D, E, F, all the way down. There is no other plan for salvation. There is no other Messiah. Not your good works, not any other false religion, anything like that. Listen, Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life, and none come to the Father but through him. I love how we sang that earlier. It's so true. And what Jesus is talking about here, when he says that this is eternal life, that they know you, he's not just talking about some head knowledge. Like, okay, I heard Jesus something about Jesus Christ preach, and I kind of have an idea about him and all this stuff. No, 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 it's something so much better, so much deeper. Here's what it means. It means knowing through personal experience. Knowing through personal experience and increasingly intimately sharing the life of another. Increasingly sharing the life of another. And here's great news. Can I give you some great news today? Man, do we ever need the good news of the gospel today? Here's some great news based on the authority of God's word right here. If you have repented of your sin, And if you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? Eternal life begins now for you. Eternal life begins now. At the moment of salvation, and we experience it, the divine quality of life, more and more, the more we know Jesus. The more we become like him, sanctified, that means becoming more like Christ, Through his power, through the Holy Spirit in us, changing us. See, the quality of God's life, his holiness, his patience, his righteousness, his kindness, his grace, his purity, his love, and so much more. What does that do? That grows in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it changes us as we, by his power, display more of his glory and grow from one degree of glory to the next. Awesome. Awesome. And don't you just see this? Don't you just see this happening all around us? That God is glorified when, through the lives of his people as he changes our desires. I mean, so many people talk to over this pandemic in this church, just again and again and again, they're like, man, I have never had a hunger for God's word like this before. A desire to see Jesus lifted up, a desire for prayer. See, he changes our desires. We experience a greater divine quality of life. Man, there's a passion for prayer. I'm growing in love for this church and a love for the lost. And I find that I'm able now to extend greater forgiveness to those who hurt me. Man, what a testimony to the glory of God, to the work of God in one's life. We see increasing sacrifice instead of selfishness. A willing to lay down our time and talents and treasures as the divine quality of life is experienced and we find increasing satisfaction in God. We're more freely to be generous with what he's given to us. There's increasing humility in our lives and not pride and not defensiveness There's increasing thanksgiving over grumbling and complaining and cynicism. This is the divine quality of life. There's increasing redemption and reconciliation in relationships. And it's been amazing to see this in families and in marriages. There's an increasing peace when we face trials. Unexplainable peace on a human level. The peace that passes all understanding. Welcome to the divine quality of life. There's increasing faith over fear, comfort, and joy, and the sorrow. It is the taste of eternal life. God's glory, God's goodness displayed that they know you. See, Jesus' greatest priority was God's glory. Here's the question. Is it yours? Is it mine? At all times and in all things, is God's glory your top priority? See, if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Savior in love, I want to say this. What it all boils down to for you is this. Your glory is your greatest priority. It's true. At the end of the day, you can say, well, I'm doing it for this person. this ultimately your glory is your greatest priority. And this cannot save you. Jesus took your place because you can't save yourself. And Jesus says to you today, no matter where you are at, no matter what sin you are engaged in, listen, he says, come to me. Don't run from me. Come to me. Run to me. Repent. Turn away from that sin. Believe in me that I am the Messiah. There is no other way to have eternal life. Believe in me and I will show you my glory in and through you now and into eternity. Loved one, will you come? Will you hear the word of the Lord to you today and come and taste and see that the Lord is good? Don't wait. Come and say, yes, Jesus, I believe. I repent of my sin and I confess you as my Lord and Savior and eternal life begins now. And brothers and sisters, here's a challenge for us right here. Is God's glory your top priority? Is it mine? Man, this is a struggle, eh? Are we echoing the words like the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8? You'll see it on the screen. Paul says this, But whatever gain I had in this world, whatever possessions I could have, whatever status I could have, anything like that, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ." Talk about a life of sacrifice, huh? I'm not going to think of myself. I count it as loss. Indeed, verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of, here it is again, knowing, the divine quality of life, increasingly sharing the life of Jesus Christ, my Lord. The surpassing worth. Is that what it is to you? The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, of God's glory in your life, through your life, being the top priority. For his sake, Paul goes on to say, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, in order that I may know Christ. Oh, may it be so. May that be the declaration of every heart in every home today, saying, Lord, let your glory be my priority in my family. It's not about my agenda anymore. It's not about my pettiness and getting my control and way over my spouse. And let it be your glory as my priority in my parenting, leading my kids to you. Let your glory be my priority in the workplace and in the neighborhood when I'm talking with neighbors and doing all these things. Let your glory be my greatest agenda. Amen. Let your glory be my priority in hobbies and in the school classroom when I'm doing assignments. Am I representing you? Am I esteeming you, your worth? Am I adoring you in what I'm putting on that page or in that lab? Let your glory be my priority right here, right out of context in suffering, in suffering. Saying, Lord, do whatever you need to do. Yes, the pain is real. I'm feeling the grief, I'm feeling sore, but do whatever you need to do to get the glory through this. Just as Jesus is saying here, glorify your name. And you may say, well, what does a life that has God's glory as its top priority increasingly look like? Well, look at this. Number one, right from the text here, we live on the mission of God. Are you living on the mission of God? Not just when you feel like it, not just when it's convenient. listen, listen. Are are our lives increasingly devoted to the mission of God? Because if they're devoted to that, they're devoted to the glory of God. Are we proclaiming the gospel? If Jesus says, this is how God is going to be glorified as people come to him. Hey, hey, let's tune in. Are, Are we increasingly proclaiming the gospel on our lips and in our lives? Knowing that God is glorified as people hear and believe. Hey, question, loved one. Who has God put around you? Don't be afraid. Remember, he's overcome the world. Go back and listen to last week's message if you need to. Don't be afraid. Who has God put right around you, in your neighborhood, in the workplace, as your co-workers, in your classroom, at the shopping mall, whatever it is, who has God put around you? Man, when God's glory is on your agenda, be encouraged with this. It's never just another trip to the grocery store or to that restaurant. It's never just another classroom session with your teachers and your classmates and your lab partners. Listen, it's never just another moment when God's glory is on your agenda and your priority, amen? Amen. Are we sharing the gospel, proclaiming it boldly, fearlessly, lovingly, compassionately to the lost, broken, and hurting world that is desperate for it? So there are we living on the mission of God, but look at verse 3. Here's the other application. Are we growing in intimacy with God? If God's glory is our top priority, then growing in intimacy and knowing Christ, as Paul says right here, is our top priority at all times and in all things. Are we abiding with him? In unhindered fellowship, increasingly bringing him into each situation, into the meeting, into the parenting, into the family devotions, into the marriage, into the hobbies, into the entertainment, into the grass cutting, whatever it is. We're abiding with him through his word, in prayer, in obedience and worship. Sharing his life increasingly by his power. That's the life of one whose God's glory is their top priority. Living on mission, growing in intimacy. Hey, heart check time, loved ones. What priorities have taken his place in our lives? His glory is our top priorities. Where do you want your glory above his? Where are you more concerned about your status, your worth, you being esteemed? Over his, hate, hey, there's no condemnation. There's only comfort on the other side of repentance. Let's repent today. Don't wait. And say, let your glory, Lord, be my priority. Amen? You see, Jesus' desire is for God's glory. And it must be our greatest priority. At all times, in all things. Or we will compromise every time. We want glory for ourselves. We want esteem. We're going sideways every time. If we're going to stay faithful on mission, it must be our priority. But not only that, it must be our constant perspective. God's glory must be our constant perspective. See, Jesus lived with an eternal perspective at all times. Are you? Jesus lived with an eternal perspective at all times. Are you? Look at verses four to five. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Beautiful. See, Jesus states that because he had accomplished the work the Father sent him to earth to do, which was what? Take on flesh, reveal God to the world, and accomplish his work of salvation on the cross. Listen, because of that, Jesus now makes his second request. You see that? Before he's like, glorify me, that I may glorify you. And now look what he asks. He asked that God the Father would glorify, remember, esteem, honor him with the glory that he had in the presence of the Father before the world was even created, before Jesus came to earth. He's like, God, bring me back to that glory. Now I want, I want you to focus on something. Notice Jesus says that He accomplished the work. He goes, I have accomplished the work that he gave me. Now, you might be thinking, wait a second. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. How can he say that? Why could he say this? Well, just keep reading the text. Jesus has an eternal perspective here. An eternal perspective is what he lived with 24-7. All right? And as such, by faith, Jesus already considered his work on the cross to have been accomplished. It was a done deal. The it is finished is coming. Because now, notice what he's doing here. Even in the face of his death, he's looking beyond the cross. He's looking beyond the trial, beyond the suffering, beyond the hardship, to the glory that is awaiting him in the presence of God the Father which he has been longing to return to since he came to earth and the glory that he would experience again shortly after he rose again. Beautiful. You see, right here, we see it again. And we've seen it all throughout the Gospel of John. But here again, the glory of God, the glory of heaven that awaited him was his constant, eternal perspective. No matter the task, no matter the day, no matter the opposition that came against him, no matter the temptation that he faced or the trial or the suffering. Listen, listen, where was Jesus' focus? The glory of God that awaited him. And he pressed on, he stood firm, he stood faithful in God's power to the end in accomplishing the work God gave him to do He finished faithfully during his time here on earth. And now, as Hebrews 12 says, he is seated at the right hand of God. What does that mean? This prayer, God answered. Amen? Amen. And you see, today, isn't it so easy, loved ones? I find it so easy for myself to to root our perspective in the here and now. Right, root our perspective in the here and now, in the disappointment that we face, in the discouragement that we say, "Oh, this is this is all there is. This is as good as it gets. This isn't going to change. Nobody knows what I'm going through. This is so hard." And we root our perspective in the here and now with the fear, "Oh, what'll happen if if if? if, Oh, this is not going to be good. I don't want to step into that because what if I fail? And the fear of man and the fear of failure, or in the suffering as well." Eyes come off Christ, eyes come on to ourself, and we fail to remember what is ahead if we are saved in Jesus Christ. We fail to remember what is ahead, and this is exactly where Satan loves to keep us, thinking God has abandoned us, nothing's gonna change, this is all gonna go bad, We put our eyes on ourselves, and we start to compromise. See, this world says, live for this moment. Live for the moment. Get the glory in the moment. But notice what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is doing here as the model for us to stay faithful on mission. Jesus is saying, don't live for this moment. Live in this moment with an eternal perspective for the glory of God. Live for the glory of God in this moment. Don't live for this moment or your eyes are going to come off me. Right? We must look beyond, love, And I know it's hard. It's hard for me too. This is where we need to press into the Lord and say, God, help me to get my eyes above my situation. Get my eyes off myself. Get them onto you, loved ones. We must look beyond the trials and the suffering and the hardship we face in this world. And we must get them towards and looking towards the eternal glory prepared for us in heaven in the presence of Jesus. We're not going to minimize the sorrow we're going through. We're not going to minimize the hardship and just kind of wish it away like, hey, good, everything's great. No, no, no. But in the midst of it, say, yes, this is hard. Look what Jesus is doing. Follow our example. He goes, yes, this is waiting for me. In just a little while now, he's going to be sweating like blood. But he says, I'm looking beyond the trial to the weight of glory, the presence of God that is awaiting me. All right, Jesus never took his eyes off the glory that awaited him. And this is why, I just want to encourage you with this today. Man, there's so many things, pandemics and all this racism and conflict and hatred in this world and health issues that we face and all of these things. And it's so easy to stay here and want ourselves to be going, listen, 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 Look beyond the trial. Don't live for the moment. Live in the moment with the power of the Holy Spirit in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing Christ, growing in intimacy, because remind, be reminded today, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, you'll see it on the screen. So we do not lose heart. Loved one, do not lose heart today. Do not lose heart today. If you are saved in Jesus Christ, this is a truth for you right now. Do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, man, it can feel like we're wasting away and as the trials come and it takes a toll on us and listen, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed, being renewed day by day in the divine quality of the life of God, eternal life. For this light and momentary affliction, loved one, that, at the end of the day, that is what you and I are facing. A light and momentary affliction. In the perspective of eternity, it is light and it is momentary. Stand firm. Get our eyes on the glory of God that awaits us. Because look at what it says. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Glory. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen. The death, the destruction, the heartache, the sorrow. We're not minimizing it, but ultimately we're not looking to those things. We're not focused on those things primarily. Look at this. But to the things that are unseen. Right, what Jesus is doing here. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Eternal glory of God. Hey, loved ones, look up here. Look up here. Ready? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. If you are a follower of Christ here today, Isaac, listen, listen. Look to Jesus. Remember the unseen. Remember the glory that awaits you. Let these light, and momentary afflictions cannot strip from us. Praise the Lord. See, Jesus lived with an eternal perspective at all times and in all things. Are you, are you in the trials, in your fear, in your confusion, in the doubt, in the sickness, in the day to day? Are we just focused in the moment on the transient things? Or are we living in the moment, focused on the eternal? Are you living in light of eternity and asking the Lord for faith? Faith to view your situation, to view the circumstance in light of the glory that awaits you in the presence of Jesus. Loved one, where do you need to live in light of this today? Write that down. Lord, help me to live with an eternal perspective in. What is that for you? Write it down. Write it down and he will meet you there. See, Jesus' desire is for God's glory. It must be our greatest priority and our constant perspective. And therefore, as Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance, loved ones, today. The race that is set before us, not focused on these transient things, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, right here, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name such a beautiful truth to see unpacked today. Jesus, your desire was for God's glory at all times and in all things. And we confess that it is not ours. But we also ask that you would help us. Help us to live with it increasingly as our greatest priority and as our constant perspective. It's so easy to become... Um, dog-piled in this world and distracted and discouraged and eyes all on this transient stuff focused on the light and momentary affliction that feels so long and heavy not light and momentary but Jesus help us to love you more and to look to you to follow you this is your desire for your people and I thank you that you modeled this perfectly you lived this perfectly and now through the power of the Holy Spirit you are ready to empower us to do the same will you stand and respond and worship with us today?